tell them here and let them be. Well, I got something deep inside of me. I can't hide it anymore. It needs to be so free. There's no time to let this tale get old. No, no, no. It's the best story. Hello and welcome to the show. My guest is a writer-director, and I'm going to introduce you in a little bit of a more fun way. A to me, a vocal leader in the Asian Pacific Islander Desi American community. Uh, yeah, so writer-director of I'll Meet You There, Iram Parveen Bilal. <laughs> <laughs> Did I get that all? I feel it, it was great. I, I almost feel like being introduced as a vocal leader in an Asian American community is like a troublemaker. <laughs> tr tr hey, troublemakers are good for uh, our community, for sure, uh, as I've... You know, I just grew up, I grew up in a place and in an environment where I feel like if I didn't, if I wasn't vocal, I would be drowning. So I think that it all goes back to just how we are raised and how we grow up and what we need to do to survive, but I'll take it as a compliment and not, not uh, be insecure about it. So thank you, David. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> for, for sure a compliment. Uh, so, you know, for those who've never listened before or are fans of yours and just listening just to hear you, uh, on this show, I asked friends and colleagues to tell an untold story they've never told publicly for my own personal benefit and enjoyment. And then we just kind of chat about the story afterwards and why you didn't talk about it or why you haven't. Uh, but before that, I wanted to ask you a question about I'll Meet You There, which is currently out in the world uh, on, I saw, I saw it on Amazon Prime, but you could see it on Spectrum and other streamers. If you can, I would say, please watch it on iTunes. Thank you for watching. Uh, iTunes is best for our investors, so I request people to watch it on iTunes. So iTunes, go out to iTunes. Uh, my bad on the Amazon Prime. No, no. But, <laughs> but uh, I did want to ask, uh, this is an independent film. You spend years creating it, producing it, getting it all together. And then you have to put it out during COVID. Yeah. Like, which has obviously disrupted many, many lives in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways has definitely redefined or reset how movies are released so i was just curious what your experience has been putting this movie out amidst like a restructuring in many ways of how movies are released and you know traditional tours and things you would normally do you can't do so how you know, not going? only did we just have to release it in COVID, we had to give up um, in competition premiere at south by southwest yeah. it has been a heartbreak and then some david it's been just brutal so uh, yeah, it was. It's what indie filmmakers work for forever is to be in competition at at places like Sundance and South by, and we, we did it. <laughs> I found out I was at, uh, uh, in South by when I was thirty nine weeks pregnant, pregnant with my first child, and then they don't tell you if you're in competition. And then my daughter was born, and then when she was two weeks old, I got an email saying I was actually one of ten in competition, and it, it felt like the world was our oyster. And then six days before. That we were supposed to fly everything mm. got canceled 
first time ever in the history. And because it was so last minute, the festival was scrambling. Nothing was done essentially for us. So I just have to put that as a, as a context setting for now, this is the world I'm in postpartum dealing with parenthood. This happens so much anxiety, what's going to happen this pandemic. So, you know, everyone has ideas and everyone has opinions and people are like, oh, don't worry about it. Netflix, Amazon, they're all going to be like scrambling for product and they're going to want you for your finished films. And I just was like, come on, you guys, like, I'm sure Netflix and Amazon aren't working like week to week. They probably have like a year and a half or two years of backlog of content. And sure enough, that's what happened. What, what actually happened is all the big dogs came to the streamers because theaters were shut. So we were squeezed out from any potential. First of all, everyone's purses were sealed because of anxiety, right? Because like unprecedented times, one first time in a century. I have to mention I'm the queen of timing because I spent seven seven to 10 years to make a film and once in a pandemic. And then fast forward the week we are about to release the trailer, the capital insurrection happens. And I just was like, at that point, I just started cracking. I was like, okay, if this isn't a school of nothing is in your control, like, I don't know what is. So anyway, David, fast forward, we, we kind of went through all the, um, you know, the way. So there's a couple of things. You have press and then, and then like sales. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people chose to hold press when the festival got canceled. But my PR person, kudos to her, she said, listen, if people are paying attention, whether it's pity or whatever, just go for it, get the reviews. Because what people don't know is even trying to get reporters and critics to watch your film and give you a review is a big deal. And then you have to worry about if it's good or not, you know, (laughs) the review. So she was like, let's just do it. And and I'm glad that she said that because for people who waited until they were picked up for a big glossy distribution, press doesn't care about you because now you have all the other festivals happening and then you have all these, you know. So I chose to just swing for the fences. Um, And so we got a bunch of, we got really good press minus one really brutal review, um, uh, which is fine. And this film wasn't for them. And, but then sales wise, everyone was like on pause. And mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, I'm not going to do anything. And then we reapproached in September. Again, it wasn't, we had, had, we had one offer, but what happened during this time was I was on all these panels for like gender, cause I'm vocal. So that came back. <laughs> so yeah. I was in all these panels where like all these people, we're worried about what is going to happen to the marginalized communities when a reset happens, because what happens in cultures that are systemically supremacist and oppressive is that whenever there's a chance for a reset, a lot of the activist work is pushed back, right? And then the blame is like, oh, well, this is COVID. Oh, this is COVID, which is why we're not hiring women. Oh, this is COVID, which is what why we're not hiring people of color, you know? So, because they just don't have the experience. There's always more excuses. So there was a bunch of panels happening towards sort of gender parity, like preservation and work preservation. In that, in those panels, I met Adrienne Becker, who's the CEO of Level Forward. And she said, and, and so we kept seeing each other on the same panels. And she said, wait a minute, didn't you also have a film at South By? Turns out she had produced two of the other 10 that were in competition. And mm-hmm. she said to me, she said, I'm very impressed with how you're handling this because a lot of the filmmakers right now are just kind of like, you know, curled up and figuring out what, and she's like, you're just kind of doing activism. And I was like, well, frankly, because there's nothing else we can do right now. So, you know, um, so she connected. And so she wanted to watch the film and then she loved the film. And she said, I, I want to be part of 
the rollout. So then coming to answer your question, what we did was we had that VOD offer, but I've seen how VOD offers work. They basically just throw the film on all the platforms and there's no print and ad. So I hired my own PR and we did a private impact distribution rollout with Level Forward, which basically meant this, by the way, David, was also the year that I won the Women in Film Finishing Fund. So my plan was to actually travel across the world, the country and do all these launch screenings before, but you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. So what I did was I used a lot of that money to, for, you know, just all these distribution expenses. And so what we did do was in terms of numbers though, I think it was, because what did open up is that we could have anyone tune in because it was virtual. So we did five themed virtual premieres. So we, we recreated our South by moment. It was just for our film. And it was, it was like race and surveillance, immigrants and identity, rhythms and culture, the gala filmmaker workshop. And it was basically across North America. And then we showed the film and these were done like not Zoom, but these were really highly produced digital events with like lounges, digital lounges. So you could see behind the scenes of the film, listen to tracks, you know, learn facts, uh, fun facts of how many mosques we had to like, you know, locations got or whatever, the fun stuff. Then you watch the film and then there were these talk forward sessions. So we did that. And what I did was I aligned that ahead of the VOD drop. Because what I realized was the more snowball I can build, then when it's dropped on VOD, that whole week can serve as its own print and ad sort of marketing. And it worked. I mean, it, the word of mouth was incredible. We got incredible press. We were in the New York Times or in NPR. And it's so, it, it really, because I feel had I not done that, like no one would have known of the film. Even now we're struggling because again, it's like for the people who didn't tune in, during that week. And we had like 2000 people tuned in, which is incredible for oh, the for virtual sure. setting. Oh, absolutely. But, but it's been hard. Like, I mean, because it's like, there's fatigue, people don't want to watch anything. Um, but so to answer your question, it is tough because now, so then we had a plan to release in Dubai and Pakistan, but then again, COVID's hitting back because of the vaccine delays and now theaters are still, so, so yes, it's uh, a shit storm. Um, <laughs> and, uh, we're trying to make the best of it. Um, it's a special film and I, it's sad because there were a lot of things that could have happened, but I really truly believe that in other ways it has aligned. I don't know, I, I have to, I have no other choice but to be positive. So I will just be positive at this point. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I gotta say, uh, so resourceful, so uh, inspired. I'm inspired that you, you know, could able, were able to do all this during this time like I would just now I'm exercising more but before it was like heavy alcohol use and just like crawl, <laughs> curled up in the fetal position every other day like I don't understand what's happening this is confusing I can't leave my home uh so kudos yeah. to you for for pushing and you know I'm sure all the people that are part of the film it's always inspiring to know that like you know they have a, a director uh who's pushing for it trying to get you know the workout trying to get the actors seen you know producers right like just trying to get everyone involved the, their time and their visibility so you know the thing is that i have not been shown love by the system yet uh so the indie world is everything to me so far and so the supporters and the investors are everything they're the reason i have a career so i need to i need to work my butt off for my investors so right now we are in the midst of uh for the rest of the year 
doing private corporate screenings and events, which is where I think a lot of the revenue is going to come. Because again, I've just been burnt so much by distribution for like more than a decade. Uh, and I've, and because I've been in the trenches and have self-distributed my first feature, like almost eight years ago. So I know like what the numbers are and I know how much they just take off the top. It's a mafia. So I don't sit there just presuming, oh, someone's distributing and I'm going to get like a a quarterly report and all this money, it doesn't work that way, you know? And and the system is hugely broken. So, but what I did do was I think I focused on what is in my control and this became my project. And I started working on this in October and we aligned with everyone. I mean, Cape, Gold House, like Define American, you know, South Asian Institutes, like every, like I feel like we had 20 orgs aligned for that week of release. And that was the most beautiful thing. You know, they source speakers and then their social media, all of this was like a little, you know, but I could see this whole like election cycle and the whole insurrection. I was like, this is going to get derailed again. I was just watching, like, I was like, this is going to get derailed again. So there was so much anxiety, even with my PR person. She was like, I can't, I don't even know how to pitch like that whole week for the insurrection. She's like, we can't pitch to anybody because the press is all stressed out. Nobody, everyone's drinking and like, doesn't want to like you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it just was, it, it got to a point where we just started cracking up. We were like, this is hysterical. Um, how do you even plan in such a climate? Yeah. Uh, well, I feel like you people have been uh, given a little bit of an untold story of how your film has been put out into the world. But uh, we're here for your your personal untold story that's not been publicly known as as in in line with the show so you know i i we don't i don't know what you're gonna really chat about because we didn't really discuss and i generally play it that way so i mean you've said you might tell something serious you might tell something silly i don't know which way you're gonna go or both so i guess we'll find out yeah so um so whoever's listening i've been kind of tossing and turning over what to share um, because the thing is, it hasn't, it shouldn't have been shared before. And all my great stories, I feel like have been shared, uh, uh, in that sense. Right. So this has to be either very personal or something I was embarrassed about that I haven't shared yet or whatever. So sure. I told David, I was like, based on how the beginning of the interview goes, I'll decide on the spot. So I'm going to go <laughs> with this one. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so I am such a fob for people who don't know. I'm so fresh off the boat. Like, so I grew up in Nigeria and Pakistan. I was like a class A nerd. Um, I still am. Um, And uh, I came to Caltech and I had never, ever gone to a gym growing up because we didn't have gyms where like kids, like I turned 17 uh, when I, I just turned 17 when I came to college and my parents couldn't afford to drop me. So I took, you know, the ticket was here and went from Islamabad, Pakistan to Pasadena, California. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask from Pakistan to yeah and so we were and yeah and so we're like a middle-class family it's not like we have gyms and like I mean now I'm sure in Pakistan and so I didn't know and I would wear my shalvar kameez which is like traditional attire all the time like that's what I would wear and I have a knack for accents so I grew up watching who's the boss Mr. Belvedere all this like American tv so when I landed here I just seemed like a strange person because I sounded American but I was so like such a fob. So in some ways, like I was bullied in college too a lot. I, re- I feel like if I just had a hard accent, they would be like, oh, she's a foreigner. They just were like, who, who the hell? And this is before 9-11. So nobody even knew where Pakistan was. Sadly, after 9-11, people knew. 
But like before 9-11, I literally would get, they would be like, oh, is that a city in Iowa? And I'd be like, uh, <laughs> this is my freshman year, right? Anyway, so I go to the gym. I kid you not. I, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I can't believe I'm sharing this with you. I got onto the treadmill wearing my shelvar kameez and I was barefoot and I was running barefoot on the treadmill. <laughs> oh, like often? And then, no, it's the first time. Oh, okay, okay, okay. No, it's like this, like, oh, you have to survive. You have to be confident or whatever. And like that gall of just confidence, like, you know, it's, I'm like, okay, I'm unstoppable. I'm going to go work out. And so I go there and I was having such a hard time. Like it was just so, such a difficult school and Caltech, I don't know if people know about Caltech. It's like freaking like, yeah, you can be the top. Everybody in that class is in the top of their class. They're all valedictorians and everybody's deflated in the first week of classes. So, you know, whatever. So I'm there and I'm just, uh, I'm running on this treadmill and like I have this music on with this like back in the day we had the CD pouch. It's like clunky and skipping every time I'm like bouncing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then I just see the security person coming from the side and he stops me and he's like, honey, you have to wear running shoes. Um, and, you know, I was like, oh, joggers. That's what we called it in Pakistan. I was like, oh, running shoes. And, and I remember it was so sweet. So the next day I wore my joggers and then my roommate, who was seeing how much I was being sort of like otherized and bullied was like, do you have to wear your shalvar kameez when you go to the gym? <laughs> I just didn't have that many, like, you know, but I just, I share that story to, to somehow, sometimes, I mean, there's just, I mean, I'm surprised at how far I've come. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely didn't see that coming. Uh, <laughs> Based on, you know, I do know you a little bit. Uh, uh, okay, well. Because okay. I was a kid. Because I was a kid, you know. It's just, that's what it is. I, I was a kid. I was the youngest of three girls. I didn't grow up with money. Um, so, you know, and that's the beauty. It's like, but we have, so my parents, you know, I'm going to tell you so many untold stories. Here. My parents come from this generation that left everything in India, their parents, and moved to Pakistan. So they all started from scratch. Mm. So, you know, the only thing, the, the biggest resource in our family has always been education. So my mom and her five sisters were all had masters in the 70s. And then, you know, but they weren't, education was not synonymous to wealth, you know? Okay. So for me also, like I came here with a scholarship. Um, but yeah, anyway, I was going to tell you another story of uh, how we got invited to the president's house in Islamabad because um, I was a physics nerd. Um, but, but we, can I tell it to you? It's going to be really quick. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to get back to the, sh the barefoot running, but let's, let's hear the story. Well, I just quickly, this is the other story I wanted to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear it. A lot of people. So basically I was in this physics camp and I was like the first girl who had qualified for the physics Olympiads in Pakistan. And it was me and these three other uh, nerdy guys. And we were just in the award ceremony. And at that point, the dictator, Pervez Musharraf, he was the chief guest. And this was in Islamabad in the city. So we had we had lived in the capital, but we had obviously never gone to like the presidential house, the prime minister house, because it's a huge barricades. During the ceremony, this guy, this the president, he just announces Oh, and I'm announcing like all this cash prize for all these four people who won. We're like, what? And suddenly we're being whisked by security. And from this award ceremony, suddenly we're going in all these back. And my parents and I end up in the freaking living room of the president of Pakistan. 
like within like 45 minutes and my parents and, and you know it made me it made me so proud I was like you know I have lived in the city for so many years and it's like not even been you know you, it's one of those things where you drive by in a traffic jam and pollution or whatnot and you don't even look at these buildings because they're inaccessible but here thanks to all those nerdy nights and the first problems <laughs> I was, my parents were being served trays of chai and delicacies while I was waiting to get awarded some extra money by the president. So that was like a fun story that I've actually not ever shared, but, uh, what? but yeah. Was that before Caltech? Yeah, that was all before Caltech. Yeah, that, okay. was, that was before the barefoot running. Yeah, yeah. Let's, that was the year, the six months before I was running barefoot uh, in Pasadena on a treadmill. Let's uh, maybe we can work our way to barefoot running. <laughs> we'll go. We'll go chronologically because that that th there's a lot of questions I have there. And because you mentioned you had like a a CD disc man or something on you, this is oh pre gosh. this is pre social media or meme generation. Oh yeah, for sure. Because so, you yeah. would have been you would have been memed. You would have been a meme queen. Someone would have filmed you with their phone, put it online, and <laughs> you would have been that you, you would have been that person. Um, so. Okay. I mean, I know you as a writer and I know you as a director. I do not know you as apparently a science whiz, science scholar. Just, just love science. That's how wow. I came to this country. I, I got into Caltech. I was, yeah, yeah. you know, I was that nerd that everybody would like. I have so many stories. Now you got me going. But anyway, so like, yeah, during external exams, people would be like wanting to sit next to me so they could cheat. It was really so, stressful. So did you, okay, so you, so you naturally loved like physics and science and that got you involved in this physics team award? Yeah, thing. so my mom, my, my, there's a lot of science in the family and because both my parents, my dad's a chemistry professor and my mom's a physicist. Ah. Um, so, you know, I and my khala, my aunt, she's a physicist. And so, you know, there was no option. Like, it's just like Asian, like, you know, it's like doctor, lawyer, engineer. And so they really wanted me to be a doctor. I didn't. I dropped bio for my A-levels, which is a British system of education, high school. And, um, and then the second option was engineering. And so physics, I really loved and was very good at. And so you would sit for this, this like national competition. And then like the people who were in the top 50 would then go to this camp and then the top three would then be representing Pakistan in the Asian physics, AFO and IFO, the Asian physics Olympiads and the inter. So it's Olympics, but for science kids, like high school. You got to make this a movie or a TV <laughs> show or something. I don't know. There's something that you got to do something. With it. Uh, but it was, it was brutal because of course there was, it was all men and they were just our, our boys. And, you know, I would, I was of course that kid who would be like raising my hand and going in like solving all problems on the, blackboard and just be like constantly like you know just being teased yeah <laughs> um so so just to kind of I, I i'm gonna get to this barefoot thing but the just to so you're you're in i because i'm not familiar with pakistan so is the president in, at the time intimidating or like not like he is the president so it's like it's like you somehow end up in a room uh, in an award ceremony with Biden and he just calls you to the White House and you're like, uh, so yeah. it was very much, I mean, he was intimidating. I mean, my parents were fans of his. Um, uh, he'd come as a dictator, but you know, the previous government was very corrupt and stuff. And so my parents were fans of his. So it wasn't like scary. It was actually exactly. like a proud moment. Uh, so like his personality was like a warm personality or just like oh he's a yeah, yeah. no oh, no no he, he was a warm personality for sure i got it okay but is he still the leader of your 
nation. So it's like, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it's insane. But it's like, you know, when you're living in DC, so Islamabad is a capital. So, you know, you're around these people when you're in LA, it's like what, where I'm like 10 minutes from Angelina Jolie or Brad Pitt right now, but it's not like I'm just going to see them. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. that's right. the same with capital. Like it's like, if you're in DC, you're right around all these like famous politicians, but the fact that we were even, that he even showed up for that award ceremony. And then he like invited us into the presidential house. It was just so strange and like exciting. Wow. That's, I mean, you know, how many, how many high schoolers get to meet the leader of their nation? It's pretty short list. I would imagine. It was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. And uh, then he, he was, t- I remember that he was like, Oh, you know, you're the only girl. And then I was typical me I was like yeah I can't wait till they're like four girls and one boy because <laughs> it was four boys and me <laughs> yeah uh, so we get to Caltech were there other schools you were looking at before you chose Caltech and why did you choose oh, yeah Caltech? yeah I mean I had chosen so that's another story because uh, we had no guidance counselors no like anything um I just my parents were like if you want to go to school you need to like really kick butt in your SATs and you're on your own we don't have the money so you have to get a scholarship and so I we had just gotten a computer in 1998 so this is 2000 when I came to college and um, I remember like one finger typing at this like computer that only my sister was allowed to like boot Uh, you know it had like a little it had a bed sheet on it it was like a shrine and she booted the computer and then I would like type in top U.S. schools. And then I literally just ordered the prospectuses, the prospecti of the top 40 schools. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, they freaking like mailed all these huge <laughs> envelopes to my doorstep in Islamabad. And I was literally just going through, this is how I chose. So I just chose whoever like the top 10 were. And Caltech actually at that point, I didn't even know. My dream school was MIT because everybody knew about Harvard and MIT people didn't understand Caltech was as good and arguably science is better than MIT, um, which all my MIT friends are gonna obviously not agree with, but point is same school. Um, so MIT was where I really wanted to go in, um, but the person who interviewed me never processed my interview, an alum. So I don't know, I, it'll always Whoa. never be known if that, if that I would have gotten in, but I didn't. I got into a lot of other schools with scholarships, but then I didn't get into all the Ivy Leagues like Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, Yale, and MIT. Well, Stanford wasn't. But up until then, I got into like eight other schools with Dean Scholarship and then Caltech. And I remember like this one teacher who had gone to Pepperdine, I guess she knew the value of Caltech. She was just like screaming. And I was like, what's the big deal? Because up until then, I'd gone into everything. And then the rejection started coming in. So, um, but yeah, MIT, honestly, I'm even surprised I got into Caltech because now, you know, I have tutored kids here in the US and I see how the college application process starts in eighth grade. And it's like so programmed, like the instrument and the sports and the community service. And we're, oh, I was just like, just winging it. You know, I sometimes wonder, I was like, if I went to high school here, maybe I would have cracked my MIT and Harvard um, admission. But everything happens for a reason. I had to come to LA to be a filmmaker, which is why I got into Caltech. Yeah, I guess I... I, it, now I'm kind of curious how you, you eventually transitioned out of Caltech, but I, for those of you listening who are not from the West Coast, uh, Caltech is super legit, and I always knew that because I grew up in Southern California. So when you said you went to Caltech, I was like, whoa, like that—that's <laughs> like a—that's like a, an elite school for. It was number um, one. 
uh, US I, like globally number one that year. And so I actually, so these nerdy boys I'm talking about, I was in my SAT two line going into the center and these guys were all talking in front of me. They're like, did you play Caltech? I was like, what is Caltech? They're like, shh, I'm so I was like, what is Caltech? And then no, they're like, it's, yeah. It's and then legit. they told me. So it was the 13th school, the last school I applied to. Cause at that <laughs> point, it was like, you know, copy paste, personal statement, whatever recommendations. So it's, and then of course, none of those guys got in. I got in and they were like, oh, you just got in because you were a girl. Um, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I mean, no, nah, I don't know. Cause, cause Caltech's like, you got to have your, you got to know your stuff like period so it was a very it it has been a very interesting it's going to be announced soon like maybe i can say i just got nominated and invited to be on the board of the alumni association at caltech so i'm very like uh very connected but it is a it's a rough school and there's a lot of changes happening for the good but it's a difficult place yeah uh but kind of in a nice area (laughs) yeah no 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 i mean it's 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 an incredible place to be especially if you want a career in science and engineering but it's just rough because it's small you know whereas mm-hmm. mit just by share of its size like there's so much more activities and things going on undergrad i think caltech is just it's its own thing i mean that's why there's so many movies you know the real genius and like all these like big bang theories inspired like by the caltech setting all these because it's very yeah it's a it's a quirky place so 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 we're we're here at caltech now I need to understand, I guess, if you could remember your mindset of deciding to run barefoot on a treadmill <laughs> in in clothes, I guess, that are more traditional to Pakistan instead of the American quote, gym, gym clothes. I think, David, and this is why I think being in this sort of super woke cancel culture, you know, this like environment now is so interesting to me because I was not aware of my color or my race or my religion or any of that when I arrived in this country. I was blissfully ignorant. I think when I got into Hollywood, I was constantly told, you know, woman of color, woman of color, person of color, person of color. <laughs> you know, so it's like, sometimes I listen to myself. I'm like, what am I saying? Like when I go home to visit in Pakistan, I'm like, yeah, I'm a woman of color director. And like, what are you saying? <laughs> like, it's just, it's so racist, even this like, constant need for us to define like who we are by labels is so i mean the hope is that ultimately we won't need any of this right that people will just see us for who we are and i think i always just saw myself for who i was and i never i was so like ignorant like i never noticed like i was not someone to feel peer pressure i didn't notice oh i have to wear the same like hot exercise clothes or like I have to do this. Like I just didn't, you know, I just went and I did what I want to do. And I honestly think it was that attitude, which is why I even thought that, oh, okay, I can graduate from Caltech and apply to film school. Like I just had this like, I really had some guts. <laughs> just, just now that I now that I like think about what I used like the leaps I made, I'm like, damn girl. Like it yeah, it was just I think ignorance is a bliss. Um but we need to understand running barefoot <laughs> on a treadmill. Like. Because I didn't know. I didn't know. I'd never been on a treadmill. Oh, so it's literally. I thought I, I thought. I just thought maybe I would like ruin. I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe well, I just didn't like. I had never seen somebody yet, or I went in 
to the gym and I didn't have my running shoes. And I was like, whatever, I'll just run. I have no idea what I was thinking. Like, did you actually not know what a treadmill is? Like, yeah, I didn't. Oh, that's what I'm saying. I didn't. I'd never, (laughs) I maybe saw one person. That's even better. I've never been around a treadmill. Oh, that's so, that's really funny to me. It is funny, right? And the fact that I'm sharing this embarrassing story and it will be talked about forever, it's also funny. Well, I mean, because you're going into Caltech obviously clearly educated clearly a scholar of science and you see a device in a gym <laughs> and you don't you don't even know what a gym is really and you see this device that's like moving right. on a rotating wheel thing and you're like i'm like oh great four bar how like do a- i i don't even know what that means so you're like <laughs> how do i use this and you decide to just what did I you have slip did you have slippers on and you're like i'm gonna take the slippers off yeah Okay. So you're in like flip-flops and you're like, you know what? I was barefoot. And I think people are looking at me from the side of my eyes. And it's like, I just decided to put blinders because people are always looking at me because I always was like sticking out like a sore thumb because I was just like loud, like vocal. (laughs) (laughs) You know? I mean that in a good way. 17-year-old Pakistani woman. uh, with with Strangely with an American accent, but like everything else was super fobby. So, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. But this is a true story. This really happened. I'm not making this up. And then, of course, I understood. I was like, oh, okay. What was I thinking? Yeah, of course, it makes sense. It's also better for my feet. But then I had to go buy really good running shoes because I didn't have, like, nice American running shoes. Yeah. Uh, and, and it doesn't, yeah. And then, I mean, I don't know how many people saw you there, but if 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 you did this during social media era, you would have been that person like every every time you're in the gym right like at caltech small school they've been like oh there's the, the yeah barefoot. i can't right. even imagine what the level of bullying is with kids these days with social media Ugh. uh so surveilled man so <laughs> i <laughs> i wanted to uh just kind of wrap up because that kind of kind of leads us to the i guess the obvious question to me is like okay uh how did you go from barefoot running and studying at Caltech to doing film like how did how, how did that that switch happen I think it's exactly if you follow through with that sort of immense like strangely immense confidence <laughs> where you're just undeniable and you don't question yourself then you do end up take thinking like you as a woman of color, as a Muslim woman of color, as a petite Muslim woman of color is gonna start directing like Hollywood films, right? Because in that brain, it's like, of course I'm gonna start directing Hollywood films, right? There's no question. And then you get into this industry and you're like, uh, you know? Um, And I think, so I think I just applied. I literally, because I grew up loving Bollywood. And I think what happened is I went to Caltech and it's the cutting edge school for science. And I realized I loved science. I mean, I was good at science, but I didn't love it that much. I see. Um, And so at that point I was nervously and frantically trying to look for what else I wanted to do. And, you know, I did a bunch of exchange programs. I did everything but study in some of those exchange programs. And then, yeah. And then, so I applied, I traveled around the world for a year after Caltech as a Watson fellow, which is a Fulbright for hippies. (laughs) <laughs> and then I applied and then I applied for my, and I got into the Stark program at USC, which, I mean, they probably were like, who's this person from Caltech who's applying? <laughs> but, um, but, you know, and that's, that's what formally caused the shift. Like, I don't know, thinking back at it, if I 
if I had the courage to kind of like sleep on someone's couch and like try and figure out like a PA job and figure my way out into Hollywood that way, I think the Asian sort of sensibility in me was like, of course I need a degree in film, which now I think back to, because I'm still paying back those loans for USC, right? So it's like, now that I think back to it, it's like, I wish I had this sort of American like sense of like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to figure it out, you know? Uh, But from someone who's coming from this like very sort of, rigid academic background like the obvious next step was I had to go to film school and so I did I got into a great film school went and then that that's how the switch really happened um but I don't think I thought about it too much David I just was like I love film during my undergrad I did I got this like junior year I got this uh, scholarship this grant for people who are at crossroads between science and something else I used that grant to go to the University of Sussex and I did a digital production class and I really enjoyed it but I never knew, and I guess I still don't know, right? Because you don't get to direct as much, sadly, as women um, and women of color. But I never knew if I was good at it. I was in film school. I knew I wanted to do it, but I was not like sure I was good at it. But I do remember uh, I got I won the special. I, it's this also imposter syndrome, right? So it's like you're always like, ugh. But I now realize that this is definitely what gives me the most pleasure when I'm on set. I'm like, I'm so happy. I'm floating like a couple of inches above the floor. And, um, and I do think I'm kind of good at it. So, so I guess it's fine now. (laughs) Well, uh, I like that uh, this conversation has defied many Asian American stereotypes and also not not a firm, but you you know, they're, they're, obviously there's there's some talk of education in college and stuff and those things. But uh, you know, I honestly I didn't know I was going to tell you that story up until like thirty minutes before I got on. It's just like I was like, oh, okay, you know what? That's a fun story. I've never told anyone. Well, I just think about like to to me, what's funny is that that story you would have gotten bullied for, for sure, in present day, if there was cameras, if there was footage, if, yeah, you would have. But see, I got bullied for so many other things back then, right? It's just, it, sure. I mean, sure. It's like, that's just a part of it, you know? That's just, um, and I think the best thing is when those bullies, when when they now come back and they think I'm so cool because I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> All the bullies from high school and, you know, and they're just like, now they really want to be your friend. It's just so funny how that comes full circle. But yeah, no, bullying is, I agree with you. It, it could have been a different sort of, but to be honest, if I had social media, I would have probably quickly known what how you run on a treadmill and not done that. That's, that's right. I mean, that, that time was like early internet as well. So there's not like. So it's not just, you know, it's not an isolated, um, but it's okay. I honestly, I, I, I look back at that memory and I'm like, wow, that's how much you've grown. Yeah. I, uh, so, you know, I was a kid, I just turned 17. So, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I think that's a, a good note to kind of end on is like, like what, what I have known of you or what I've gotten to know of you is like someone who's, as I've said, is like a leader and like someone you kind of like see as a go-getter and admire their, their hustle and, you know, being vocal about issues and stuff. And to know that like, you're well-educated and didn't know what a treadmill is, is like really funny to me. <laughs> like, like you don't, you literally didn't See, know what a education, treadmill is. But you know, you hit on something important, uh, which is education and awareness are two different things. Mm. Very different things. And I often feel that, especially in the political context, right? 
because they're like, well, how is so-and-so saying this? They're such an educated person. I'm like, well, they are not, they've not been exposed. They haven't been made aware, you know? So those are completely separate things, you know? And again, it's like, I, I think about socioeconomic class a lot. Like if I was like a rich kid with a, a treadmill or something in my home, of course I would have known, right? So it's, again, it was like, I didn't have the privilege to even know what that was because they weren't many gyms back then. And even if there were, they were probably for rich people. And even if there were, women didn't go to like gyms. They weren't like co-ed separate times, you know? So that's the context yeah. it's coming from. So I would have eventually known, but the <laughs> fact is that I wasn't that person who was going to slowly go and observe and see how it's done and then do it. I was the person who was going to jump and do it. And if you look at that theme, it's still in my life, which is I've had to kind of just go be a go-getter and build it. I haven't had, I haven't had that. I have not wanted to sort of wait for other people to build things. Right. And that's kind of also why I'm an indie filmmaker. It's because, okay, like you're not going to give me money. I'm going to go do this. That's just how it is. That's how I approach. I just, I, I guess I just jump into things and then figure yeah. it out, you know? So if you look at it from that lens, it's not surprising. Yeah. It's kind of, I kind of, I feel like we've just like kind of put your life into like an arc, <laughs> like a story arc, you know, like a, yeah, no, I totally, I totally see that. And uh, yeah, what you said about education and awareness is so true. Uh, as a lighter example, I didn't know what salad forks were until I got into like, you know, around higher socioeconomic dining places and stuff. And it's like, oh, there's a fork just for salad. Oh, yeah, yeah. You actually no. just told me that, but I guess I knew it, but I kind of forgot. Yeah, it. yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, here's another. Yeah, there's, you get yeah, like yeah. two forks. One's your entree fork and one's just for the salad. But you know, it's interesting. Uh, so I, my dad's side of the family is socioeconomically. So after partition, they didn't, they weren't able to raise their status as much, but my mom's side through education and other things did. So I am someone who, and I'm, I say this very proudly because it keeps me grounded and I want to give that sort of breath to my daughter. It's like, I'm someone who's comfortable eating on the floors, um, you know, sitting on the floors and eating with someone. And I'm also comfortable dining in like the seven star Burj Dubai, like whatever penthouse. And I think that that breadth and sort of that ex that spectrum of empathy, it just shows, I think, in your lived experience. And, and I didn't design that to happen to me, right? That's life happened to me. And then, and then I wanted to further those experiences, which is why I traveled so much uh, when I could. But, um, you know, when I tell these stories about these, like, I think the reason I'm secure enough to just share that with you is because that's, it's okay. It's okay. It's not a big deal, right? And it's like I'm not that person now. I go to the treadmill and I look really hot. You know? <laughs> hey, may maybe, uh, maybe you'll actually own a treadmill as you know your child gets older. <laughs> no, I do. I mean, I bought a treadmill for my mom uh, in Pakistan and stuff, oh. and I do. So, like, you know, I guess it's just life is transient, and I think the the most beautiful thing is just to see that you are constantly evolving and be able to have the humor about it. Yeah. Uh, wait. So. So we're ending on you actually own a treadmill in your in your home, or in Pakistan, yeah. Oh, oh, your mom. You mean for your, your yeah, yeah. Home. And I, I, I bought one for them. I have, I don't own one yet, but I think when we move into another house, that's not a bad idea. But now I just like to go to the gym so I can show people I know how to wear running <laughs> shoes on a treadmill. <laughs> uh, Plus, I miss community. I can't, I can't work out alone at home. I need, I need other people to kick my butt. Well, you know, uh, 
hopefully uh, we'll all be able to resume those kind of day-to-day activities. But uh, yeah, Aaron, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing these stories and your filmmaking expertise as well. Quite a wide breadth of information for a lot of people today. I know. What can I say? I'm vocal. Thank yeah. you. Thank yes. you so much, David. Lovely, lovely to be here. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening and talk soon. Bye. Hey, if you'd like to know when our next new episode comes in, it's easy. You can subscribe for Best Noir I Never Told. That's right, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher.